This recording is from Redemption Church in Tempe, Arizona. More information available at tempe.redemptionaz.com. Uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors. Uh, normally, I do the bulk of the preaching, but today we get an opportunity to hear from a really good friend of mine, uh, Aaron Daly, a.k.a. Aaron, will be with us this morning uh, from Alhambra Village. And so he's a lead pastor of Redemp- Redemption Alhambra. Um, he also helps with church relations with Crisis Pregnancy Center. Uh, one of the best preachers I've ever heard, good friend of ours. We've been trying to get him to come preach with us here in Tempe and the time allotted. And so will you guys give Aaron a big, warm Redemption Tempe? Welcome. Well, some of you are looking and saying, didn't this guy preach last week? And uh, first of all, I am not Jim Mullins, but, uh, but uh, I think it's very uh, wrong of you to say all big white people look the same. And so uh, stop your judgment and just let me preach this morning. Uh, first of all, I, I am so glad to be a part of Redemption Church and uh, Redemption Alhambra is the one of the newer congregations and I, I got to tell you man It is a huge blessing to stand in this room and just think of all the congregations across Arizona that are worshiping together as Redemption Church It's, it's, and it's an exciting thing, but I know all of you know That everybody wants to be Tempe and that's fine. You guys are the cool congregation and I'm good with that But you do have the best uh, preacher here, I tell you, Ricardo is incredible. You can give Ricardo a hand because he's an incredible blessing. Amazing, authentic brother, and he's been a good friend, and I'm just super thankful for Ricardo and the elders here. Um, every family has a, a crazy member in it, and so since I consider myself, and we are all family, a part of the Redemption family, I just want to kind of let you know The other day I was driving in my minivan and I look back at one of my kids. I have five kids and I know all of you are thinking, man, this guy's blessed because he has five kids. And I am. I am very blessed. Five kids. I look in the back and one of my daughters is like reaching her hand just in front of her sister's face and and driving her crazy. And she's screaming. I'm like, stop the screaming in the back. And her hand is not touching her. And she's going, I'm not touching her. I'm not touching her. I'm not touching her. Now that is what is going to happen today. It's irritating. And every family member has the crazy kind of irritating family member. And I'm fine being that. And I can see why uh, Ricardo asked me to preach that today. I'm going to be a little bit of, of that that brother who gets in your face, and I'm not going to exactly touch you, but you'll feel like I am, and I'll just be like, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, I'm not touching you, because this passage is a little bit irritating. It's a little bit irritating. Um, One in which we just heard there's uh, parts of that that we wrestle with. We wrestle with the idea of what is this unforgivable sin that we are looking at, that Jesus speaks of. And when we come to passages like this, here's what we need to do. We need to make sure our hearts are ready to be challenged. Often, just like Jesus coming in in Mark, he's confronting the kingdoms of this world. Every system and kingdom that Jesus enters into um, is challenged and confronted and ultimately demolished. He doesn't fit well into systems. He is king, and he's confronting the kingdoms of this world. And I think it's very very dangerous if when Jesus comes into our world, nothing is confronted in our lives. 
I think we're carving an image of Jesus that fits nicely into our world. But when Jesus really comes in, he's going to challenge something. Can you say amen to that? Now, I like the amens back, so you're willing. I would love for that to happen this morning. Thank you. Now, there's, there's responses to texts like this, and one would be a calloused heart. Next week, they're going to talk more about this as you go through the different parables. But the calloused heart would look at something like this and goes, who cares? Who cares? This just proves that Jesus cannot forgive all sins. This just proves that. Others would feel a weight of huge condemnation. And the condemnation is saying, I know that I have done so many things. I've committed sins. And hearing this today just proves that I cannot be forgiven. I've done too much. I'm beyond forgiveness. There would be those who would get extremely confused. You would say something like, what? I thought Jesus could forgive all sins, and now he's saying that there is this unforgivable sin, and then there would be those who could get convicted by this, that God could use this scripture today by his spirit and bring it to our hearts so that we could be convicted and run to him in repentance. Now, what really matters in this, as we're studying a text like this, what really matters in this is context. It really matters. We need to see that all of these stories are made into a sandwich. Now, I'm not going to spend much time talking about this because some of you might be hungry, but James Edwards calls uh, this a Markin sandwich. Now, that is not a sandwich over at Dilly's Deli. This is a, a, a theological kind of sandwich, if you will. There's three stories here. And we read those three stories, or there's two stories, but what happens is story A starts it, and then the story A ends after he tells story B. That's the sandwich. The bread is story A, and we see that a minute ago, and then B is the meat of it, and then he comes back to A and ends the story. But what we have to understand about this context is Mark is trying to show something. He uses this kind of idea of a Mark and sandwich nine times throughout Mark. He, he uses this literary kind of um, technique often in the book. But what we want to see here is what is it that God is trying to speak to us, but in order for us to hear it, I think we need to hear the whole thing. We need to understand the whole sandwich. Now, I want to say this because I think it's important for us, as we approach texts like this, that we must not fight the, we must fight the urge to figure everything out. In this case, the unforgivable sin. There's something in us that wants to have everything figured out and packaged neatly. But instead, what we should do is long for the Spirit to speak to us through His Word. Instead of us kind of approaching it saying, I need to figure this whole thing out and package it neatly so that I can understand it well, let the Spirit speak to you this morning. Through His Word, let it fall heavy on your heart. Instead of us saying, what does this mean and what are all the questions that we need answered, why don't we ask this morning, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us through your Word? Would you let these words fall heavy on our hearts? Would, would your heart be revealed to us? Speak to us this morning. Now what I want to do is kind of explain this, 
these two stories. And, and you saw this. Story A started in verse 20 and then it went to 21. So verse 20 and 21, it shows this, that having heard his family went out and tried to take him by force and his family, they were saying that he was crazy. So all of these crowds are coming around him. He's doing all these things. He's making these big claims. And his family is kind of staging, if you will, an intervention of Jesus. Kind of pull him aside. They think he's crazy and go, you've got to stop this. They're going to take him by force. And then he goes into story B, where religious leaders are accusing him of being Satan. And then he answers that question, and that's the part, the meat in which we find this idea of the unforgivable sin. And then he goes back to story A, and his family is seeking him, and Jesus makes an incredible statement about who his true family is. So that's the whole sandwich. And the reason why I want us to see that is because in order for us to understand what is Mark trying to say to us through the Spirit, what is Jesus trying to portray, I think we need to, to take a bite of the whole thing instead of just diving into the middle part of this. Now, I'm going to take a minute and kind of step out of this. And as I've been thinking through this text a story or an illustration came to mind. And so I want to illustrate that and hopefully will set us up to understand this. I here's what I want you to picture. Now, I I'm not saying this prophetically. I'm not trying to offend anyone. But I just want you to picture this. A single, desperate young lady. Okay? I'm not trying to speak to anybody in this room. None of you here. This is not pointed at you. Except you, ma'am. No. <laughs> A single, yes, desperate young lady. And what she's waiting for is Prince Charming to kind of ride in and sweep her off her feet and overthrow all of her enemies and haters and carry her off into the sunset. sunset. And in my world, it's kind of a Barry White kind of music playing in the background. Yeah, baby. It's tight. A good beat behind it, maybe some Ursher or something. <laughs> and so what ends up happening in this is there's this desperate woman. Now, what, what, what you notice about desperation is when someone is really desperate, every guy that goes by, that woman is asking, is he the one? She cannot build any normal relationships because every guy that comes by, there's a question inside. Is he the one? Oh, dear God, I hope he's not the one. Or, man, I really do hope he's the one. And then, in this story, there's this constant waiting for the one to come. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this guy shows up and he looks nothing like she thought he would look. He acts nothing like she wants him to act. She, he doesn't fit any of her expectations. And he just shows up on the scene and he gets down on his knees and he says, I am the man you've been waiting for. All of your life, girl. Will you marry me? 
And at that point, she's faced with a choice. Accept or reject this guy. Now, acceptance is pretty clear. How do you accept it? Well, you have to leave all other options, and you have to leave all other dudes, and you can't ask, is this the one any longer? And you have to completely reject every other dude, and you have to say yes, and you follow him. Acceptance is pretty easy. Reject all, follow. Marry, covenant, commit. Rejection is not that easy. Once you've decided this dude is crazy, first of all, I just met him and he's down on her knees. He doesn't look like he doesn't fit the checklist. He doesn't fit anything that I thought he would. Once that is the case, now you have to figure out how do you reject him. Now, there is the calloused, cold-hearted way, which a lot of neck snapping happens and a lot of fingers taken, but you do everything you can to call him out of his name, right? You call him every name in the book. You defame his character. You make it your mission to destroy this dude's life. Everything in you wants to to completely destroy all the audacity. He knows I'm a desperate girl. He knows how much I really want him, how much I really want, and he's praying on it, and now he's going to come and kind of pray on my desperation and act like he's the one, and listen to me, I'm going to destroy his life. And then there's the easy letdown, right? You, you try to do, oh, you know, it's, it's not you. It's me. It's, I'm not ready yet. But the next week, you're dating someone else. You were ready before I was down on my knee. You were asking if everybody was the one. It's not you, it's me. I'm not ready yet. And then there's the kind of caring way. It's just going, listen, you know, you're scaring people. <laughs> and I'm just kind enough to tell you, come on, get up. You'll find one later. I'm just, let me help you find a girl that's not as good as me, you know? <laughs> Could be friends. How to figure out how to reject someone is, is very difficult. And the reason why this is important for us to look at this picture is because the interpretation that I want us to kind of put our mindset in is put Israel as that desperate woman waiting for the Messiah to come. They're waiting. And every prophet that comes, and every man that comes that does great things, all of Israel is going, are you the one? Are you the one that all of prophecy has been talking about? John the Baptist comes. Are you the one? They're all wondering if he is the one, but then Jesus comes into the scene. And Jesus doesn't fit into their system, and Jesus doesn't look like anything they wanted him to look like. Jesus doesn't fit their expectations. Matter of fact, he's destroying all their systems and all their expectations. And then he gets down on his knee and he says, girl, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I am the Messiah. And then he says, will you marry me? And when does he say, will you marry me? He says, repent. Turn from all others and follow me. Now, when he calls them to this, he's making a pronouncement. I'm the one you've always been waiting for. 
When he says repent and believe the gospel, he's saying come into covenant with me. He's down on his knees making a proposal. And at that point, Israel is faced with a choice. Do I accept? Because acceptance is pretty clear. Jesus has made this very clear. Forsake all other and put your faith and trust in me. Rejection is not that easy. How do you let down Jesus? Now, here's a statement that I want to make, and hopefully this will help us understand the context of the story that we're studying. First is this. Rejection is rejection, no matter how it is served, cold or warm. Rejection is rejection, no matter how you serve it, cold or warm. And what we see in this story is we see warm rejection and we see cold rejection. The one that our eyes immediately go to is the cold rejection. The Pharisees come in and the way that they reject is calloused and cold-hearted. And what do they say? The Pharisees say, he's Satan. His works are of Satan. What are they trying to do? They're trying to discredit him. They're calling him out of his name. They're destroying and defaming him. Now, Sam Storms makes a quote uh, about uh, the unforgivable sin that I think is important in this way. Listen to this. The unforgivable sin is not a one-time, momentary slip or inadvertent mistake in judgment, but a persistent, lifelong rebellion in the face of inescapable truth. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a careless act, but a calloused attitude. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, therefore, is not just unbelief, but unashamed belief that arises not from ignorance of what is true, but in defiance of what one knows beyond doubt to be true. It is not mere denial, but determined denial. Not mere rejection, but wanton, willful, wicked, wide-eyed rejection. cold, calloused rejection. It's looking at the works of Jesus, looking at what he has come to do, looking at his claims, and instead of kind of serving up warm rejection, they made it their mission to defame him, destroy him. Now listen, when we look at this and you hear Jesus, and we're going to talk about how he responds to rejection, when we hear Jesus talking about the unforgivable sin, this is what he's speaking of. Not just saying, oh, I blaspheme the Holy Spirit, or not just sinning a lot, or not just doing a bunch of things. This is an all-out, cold, calloused, calculated destruction of Jesus. Now, some of you may know people like that, not just that they're going, yeah, I don't believe in Jesus, but they've made it their mission to all out defame him and destroy him. Now, when we hear something like this, our eyes are drawn to it because we're going, well, how do I know I have not committed this unforgivable sin? And we try to figure out what it is, but what I want to propose to you is that many of us in this room 
would not fall into this category, although there may be some, I don't know. You may have made it your mission to not just say you don't believe in Jesus, but to destroy him, defame him, and to disprove him. And to call his works satanic. But for the most part, we get wrapped up into saying, well, how do I not forget, how do I not get, uh, commit this unforgivable sin and miss what is being spoken to us by the Spirit through these stories? More of us would fall into warm rejection. Caring and protective like the family. They see that people, and they believe that he is crazy, and so what they want to do is go, look, let's sit. you're embarrassing yourself. And what this sandwich shows is rejection is rejection. What these stories show us is that many of us in this room could be highlighting going, how do I not commit this? And while we're trying to break down what the unforgivable sin is, our hearts are warmly rejecting Jesus. Oh yeah, we're not out to destroy him, but we think he's crazy. We think he's too controversial. We think his claims don't fit well into our system in this world. And his claim to be king and his claim to be Lord and his calling of others to follow him and his outright calling in them into his kingdom, that's just crazy. Jesus, you're not fitting in well. Can you see how our eyes could be distracted by looking at the unforgivable sin? Although this is an extremely important thing, we may miss that rejection is rejection whether it's warm or cold. What I want us to look at, not just is rejection, rejection, because you see it both in how the family rejected him in a caring and warm way, and how the Pharisees rejected him by a cold and calloused way, but how did Jesus deal with rejection? Look at this. First, Jesus warns them of the seriousness of rejection. Two, he offers them forgiveness, and we're going to look at these. Three, he shows them who the true family is. I want you to notice that what Jesus does as he's talking to the Pharisees, and if you're there, I want you to look down at at verses number um, 22 through 28. As they're confronting him, if you look, what Jesus does is he doesn't tell them, you have committed the unforgivable sin. He doesn't tell them that. He warns them. He warns them that they are going in that direction. Christ is warning them of the direction in which they are going. And that they should be extremely careful because they are walking that line where they are going towards this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The point of Christ's warning is not to cause us to worry that we have committed this particular sin. 
or to judge others if they have done so, or to genuinely doubt whether we are recipients of salvation. Rather, the Lord spoke this by the Spirit who inspired it in order to warn us against the dangers of intentionally resisting the Spirit. Therefore, He encourages us to be attentive to the response of His work in our lives. Instead of defending himself, instead of trying to tell them who he was and what he was doing, instead of trying to, he warns them, you're going down a very dangerous path. And notice within that warning, if you look at verse 28, verse 28 is a key to this whole thing. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. That even in his warning, what he offers is this great forgiveness, assuming that all will reject, all will blaspheme, all will, and what he offers is forgiveness. Can you see that Jesus is not saying, you've committed the unforgivable sin, you've forgiven it, and you haven't yet, and you're getting close. No, he's warning them of this calloused rejection of calling his work satanic and even in his warning he's saying there is forgiveness because if all of us were honest when we look at stuff like this the reason why our hearts are convicted is because we know we've been blasphemous we've rejected his work but thanks be to god that through His word, what we see through, what Jesus is saying is this warning and this offer of forgiveness. The last thing we see is that Jesus' family comes to find him and his disciples come to him and say, hey, your family's looking for him. And what he does is says something extremely controversial and interesting, especially in this time. Verse 34, he says, and looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and my mother. What he's revealing is what he has come to do. Because in this time, and I I think even in our time, family, bloodlines, that kind of thing really, really mattered. And what he's showing is, is he has come to create a family that is not across bloodlines or lineages. He has come to create a new family that is surrounded by who their father is, who God is, and the work that he's done and the mission that they've come to accomplish. He's come to make a new family, and that new family is redeemed. That new family is brought in by grace. That new family is not just because it was his mother and his brother. That this family that God has created is centered around God and his work. Isn't it amazing that in the face of this rejection, Jesus reveals a warning to the people, an offer of forgiveness, and showing that family. That it wasn't just the Pharisees that were not in that family. It was much broader. All those 
who've rejected. The family that Christ has come to create are those who are brought in, adopted as sons and daughters, brought into his work to do his will. This is extremely important to me, and I I will tell you that being a part of redemption, there is this real sense of being in a family, a group of people that are doing the work of God together. And then on a local level, being a part of Redemption Alhambra, which is a very inner city area where the most poor and impoverished, and there is the most crime, prostitution. And one thing that I have grown to love about my neighborhood is the sense of family that these people had broken homes, fatherless lives, and inside of that, when they come in and they realize that Christ has forgiven them against all their blasphemies and rejection and their outright sin, Christ has done this work and brought them in, that there is this real sense that we are a part of a family. That we're doing the work of God together. I, I will tell you this, I have a really tight family and I love all of my brothers and, and I love my mom and dad. But I will tell you this, I have never felt this kind of spiritual family like I ever have in Redemption Alhambra. It's been a, a massive blessing for me to know that my brothers and sisters... That I'm not just brought into kind of an organization or an institution. I am brought into the family of God. And that when we come in by grace, I'm adopted into a relationship with Christ and relationship with this Father. But I'm also adopted into a family of brothers and sisters doing the work of God together. This was the the work that he called them into. As we approach a text like this, I think a few things need to happen. I think the Spirit of God would press on our hearts a couple of things, and that would be this. Instead of trying to figure everything out, have I committed the unforgivable sin? Am I I there yet? Have I crossed the line? Can I never come back? I think the Spirit of God would press upon us That his word is not meant to scare his children. It's meant to draw us to him. Many Christians live in constant paralyzing fear. This is a quote from Sam Storms. That they have committed the unpardonable sin. And they are burdened and broken and grieved and terrified. And some sinful habit that they cannot break or some reoccurring transgression that they cannot avoid will forever exclude them from the presence of God. Their confidence is shattered and their assurance of salvation is all but lost. And they've missed the point of the text. This is meant to draw us that you would heed the warnings of the Spirit. Let's look at the whole picture and let's the Spirit press into your heart. Have you warmly rejected Him? Have you served up rejection warm? Or maybe you've served it up cold. 
but I hope what you hear in this is what you need with all of your warm and cold and blasphemous kind of response and all your sinfulness. What we really need is to hear verse 28 that there is an offer of forgiveness. We need forgiveness. See, if you believe that you have constantly been rejecting his work in, in, in cold ways or in warm ways, there is a call for forgiveness that if you repent and trust in Christ and humble yourselves, that you can respond to his spirit, that if his spirit is convicting you, that is his spirit's work in your heart. The Spirit's work is to convict us of sin. And if you sense the Spirit's conviction, His Spirit is at work in you. Revealing areas of rejection in you. His Spirit is drawing you. His Spirit is not far from you. His Spirit is at work calling you, working in you, pointing you to Christ. And how should we respond? We should humble ourselves and we should accept this grand adoption, this grand proposal to become a part of the family of God. One is centered around who he is, his redemptive work power of his spirit to draw us into this family. One in which forgives all blasphemies and rejection. One in which we are brought in by grace, not by race or lineage or bloodlines. That what Christ has done, he has come to reveal our rejections. He has come to bring us forgiveness and he has come to bring us into a new family that we could never be brought into if it was based upon our lineage. That in the face of rejection, what is most glorious in this text is who Jesus is and what he has come to offer us. Let's pray. Spirit of God. My heart is burdened for my brothers and sisters in this room who may be facing condemnation for rejections and blasphemies that, that they have committed and done against you. And Lord, I pray that what they would see, what we would see as your people in this room, is that your spirit is working in our hearts, not to push us away, but to reveal to us the sin that is in us so we can see how much we need your great work, your forgiveness. Lord, I, I pray for those who are calloused apart, who have made it their mission to destroy and to defame. I pray for them. I ask God that by your spirit, like you did with Paul on the road to Damascus, you would capture them. You would show your spirit to them, that they would see that you are even calling to them to come. 
Lord, I pray for those who are feeling condemnation, that that is not a work of your spirit. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And I, I pray, God, that those who are feeling condemned would, would reject that. For those who are confused this morning, God, I, I ask that you would take these words and help to clarify some things, that they would see your heart and your spirit. What I'm really praying for, Lord, is for your spirit to come and convict us of sin. For your spirit to come and show us who Jesus is. And for your spirit to give us comfort as we realize we are brought into your family. Let this be a time of humility, repentance, remembrance. standing in awe of the work that you've accomplished for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.